A chemical attack in Syria has left 86 dead, including 26 children, but Minister Walid al-Malam has said that the Syrian army has not, did not, and will not use this kind of weapons, not just against our own people, but even against the terrorists that attack our civilians with their mortar rounds. The Russian Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov warned the West not to jump to conclusions about blaming Assad. And last night, while President Trump was having dinner with the, with China's president, the U.S. launched 59 Tomahawk missiles at a Syrian base. What exactly is going on in Syria? Neil Gorsuch was confirmed as a new Supreme Court justice that will be replacing Justice Antonin Scalia's seat. But it wasn't an easy road to get there. And that road is paved in hypocrisy and falsehoods from the left. Because a day can't go by without the left being offended by something, one of this week's hot topics on the left was that Vice President Mike Pence has a standard rule in his marriage that he will not have dinner with any other woman besides his wife alone. Is this really that controversial? Is it an impossible standard to have in today's day and age? But first, a new movie has hit the theaters, Ghost in the Shell starring Scarlett Johansson as the main character and as is the current running trend in Hollywood right now a lot of social justice warriors are jumping the claims of whitewashing because her character is the anime version in Japanese I would have had a call in guest tonight but uh, he's not available right now to share his uh, thoughts on this but he might be tuning in and uh, doing some uh, comments on the stream but we'll have a conversation about that as we start there tonight on the Generation Y Conservative Podcast. Welcome to the Generation Y Conservative Podcast. Happy you could be here with us. You may be watching right now live on Facebook Live where you can find me every Friday night at 9 p.m. and can interact with comments and questions. You can also find the Generation Y Conservative on Facebook by searching for the Generation Y Conservative. You can find it on YouTube under the Generation Y Conservative as well where you'll find other content besides these podcasts including what has turned into also movie reviews. Uh, the last one being Beauty and the Beast we reviewed. We also reviewed Kong Skull Island and the Logan movie, uh, and a couple other offshoot topics as well on YouTube. You can also find me on Twitter at Gen Y Conservative without the E on the end. You can find the audio versions of this podcast on Google Play and Stitcher, and you can also listen to a repeat of it on KLRN Radios Sundays at 3 p.m. until 5 p.m. They have also put me on iTunes as well, so if you search for the Generation Y Conservative, you'll find me on there too. This month's charity that we're spotlighting, which I believe is worthy of your time and donations, is local to the Lehigh Valley and is called Love, the Love Ran Red Foundation. Here's the Love Ran Red Foundation's mission statement. Love Ran Red Foundation is a Christian-based nonprofit foundation dedicated to helping adults with autism spectrum disorder, or ASD, and autism. 81% of adults with autism live with their aging parents. What happens when their parents are no longer living or can no longer take care of them? Well, Love Ran Red Foundation is dedicated to prov providing essential living assistance to families of adults with autism and developmental disabilities. You can learn more and consider donating by visiting www.loveranredfoundation.org. And I think that's a good organization with a good mission that you can dedicate your time and money to. 
Tonight, my guest host is Gabe. I've known Gabe for a long time. We've even had a couple family vacations together, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> and he is not only a follower of the Generation Y Conservative page on Facebook, but you'll actually find him regularly getting involved uh, with interactions on there as well, with comments and uh, another tidbits of, <laughs> uh, of input as well. Actually, as a matter of fact, I was just thinking... One of the things that I brought up uh, in, in one of my podcasts, I said at one point in time in one of the first podcasts, especially in regards to the Syrian uh, refugee crisis, mm -hmm. I said at one point in time, I have a friend that has suggested using retired cruise ships <laughs> and stuff like that to put the <laughs> refugees on the Mediterranean. I think that's a great idea. And that happened in... That was you, right? Yes. Yeah, it yeah, was. yeah. I forgot so, about that. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I pay attention to that stuff, and I think that you have, you have a lot of great input on Facebook, and I, I take to that. Um, so let me see here if anybody's getting involved. We have Matt. Okay, he said call again. I'm going to try, Matt. I am having uh, some difficulty here. Yeah, I'm not getting reception. I'm not getting a reception out here. So... Um, Matt, you can you can get involved by uh, commenting on the stream if you want to, uh, and I'd be happy to feature you on an upcoming podcast once your basketball season is over, which we talked about. But our first topic tonight actually goes into what Matt was going to be involved with there, and he's, it is about the social, social justice warriors that are screaming whitewashing at Hollywood for casting Scarlett Johansson as the major, which is the main character, in the new movie Ghost in the Shell, which is based on a Japanese anime. Now, this is according to the article that I read in regards to this, but there are many articles that you can find out there. Many accused the film of blatant whitewashing months before the film was actually released. You know what that means, right? Yes. So basically, for anyone that doesn't know what that means, it's uh, they take a traditionally uh, other ethnicity character uh, that isn't white and replace them with a white actor or actress, right? So, so the, the last samurai being Tom Cruise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and what could be the reason for that? I think we'll get into that, and I think you have a, a couple things to say about that as well. So the film earned just nineteen million dollars its opening weekend, which is a significant loss given the film's reported one hundred and ten million dollar budget. So they're only about ninety nine, no, ten, whatever. It's it's in the ninety. They're not doing well. Dollar. They're not doing good at all. <laughs> so. What, my first question off the bat is, with it having such a bad opening weekend, was there any other big movies out there at the time that released alongside of it that could have had an impact on it? <laughs> Your wife seeing it maybe three so, or four times now? So I, I can't speak to the box office uh, earnings of The Ghost in the Shell, but I, I can speak to the box office earnings of, uh, I don't know, The Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything Disney happens to put out with their name on it might be a draw. Uh, Oh, anytime. Happen, happen to have seen that in the past, uh, and my wife contributed to that heavily, I would say. Three or four times. Right? Yes, including dragging <laughs> me there once. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, anytime. It's, I actually pay close attention to the entertainment industry, especially in regards to new movie trailers and things that are coming out. And, um, I, you know, this uh, Beauty and the Beast, I was on top of this for over a year knowing mm -hmm. it was coming out. Um, what was the other movie recently that released 
I'm not really sure, but some of these... Oh, It. Okay, so It's coming out in September, right? Okay. I've known about this remake for over two years now. I know who the actor was that was playing Pennywise before they switched to this new actor. So I pay really <laughs> close attention to okay. uh, to Hollywood and what's going on because I'm a geek like that, you know? Mm -hmm. But in regards to this, like, you know, I've seen in Hollywood when they actually take an opening weekend of a movie and move it because they know that the the one that they're competing against for that weekend is going to demolish them. Sure. That that more people are likely to to take their money and spend it wisely according to that weekend on what they deem a better movie. Sure. That they're not going to go in for double features on the weekend, you know? So, I think personally I think that had a lot to do with the earnings of this, which has nothing to do with the whitewashing portion. But um so here's a statement that they put out. It said, We had hopes for better results domestically, said Kyle Davis, the domestic distribution chief at Paramount, uh, according to CBC News. I think the conversation regarding casting impacted the reviews. Now, what he's, what he's referring to here is that uh, there had been this, this whole controversy, controversy over whitewashing the cast uh, has been apparently going on for some time now. Since the trailer's release, I guess. Okay. And even I, who follows Hollywood and politics, didn't hear a thing about this hmm. until it became a big issue on their earnings okay. uh, loss, right? Uh, apparently, the film has earned only a 45% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And he also, Davis also said, you've got a movie that is very important to the fanboy since it's based on a Japanese anime movie. So you're always trying to thread that needle between honoring the source material and making a movie for a mass audience. That's challenging, but clearly the reviews didn't help. Anything to say about that before we go on? I, I, I think one key point in there is the word fanboy. Okay, <laughs> um, I'm a geek on some things. Don't happen to be a geek in this scenario. Mm -hmm. um, I've never heard Same of the here. Ghost in the Shell. In fact, this might have been the only time, the second time I've ever heard the name. In this podcast, okay. So I'm not aware of the original. I'm not aware of the the history of of the anime version. I'm not a fan of anime. Yeah, um, either am I. So so, and I'm sorry, Ben, and those other people that are <laughs> friends that are shaming me right now. So you you have to market to market a product for art is one thing. To right. market a product to make money is another. To me, I could be wrong. It seems to me in America, anime is an art form. <laughs> It has very strong following uh, by the people that follow it, but it's not a mainstream. It's not a mainstream art form. How would you make it mainstream? I don't know that. Maybe a top of line Hollywood actress in uh, the lead role. So, so, so number two, this is a business. Okay. Yep. Okay. I'm gonna. I was just. I have that in my notes. But go ahead. You want the fanboys to like it? You will never make the money. If only the fanboys are the ones bringing in your money. Mm -hmm. If you're in it for the art, great. If we're talking about box office, box office is a national business. Mm -hmm. or, or the box office... International. Uh, it, it's international business, but I, I assume we're talking the majority of the Hollywood United States Well, yeah, we'll actually get in into a little bit of uh, what the Japanese thought, too, I found. Okay, so I'd like so. to hear that. Yeah. Um, but that's my two cents. Okay. A lot of artists are great artists, but they're not making any money because... They're not, quote-unquote, selling out. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, 
so what I what I actually said here is that when you watch the other video that I posted on my Facebook page, which you can find, I don't suggest going to that now because you're watching us, but uh, you can actually check that out later. A Japanese gentleman named y Yuta uh, post, and it was actually posted by Milo Yiannopoulos, so he reposted this guy's uh, video that he did. He took to the streets to interview people in Japan and ask them their thoughts on Scarlett Johansson being cast as the major... And there were actually a lot of positive and glowing reactions. As a matter of fact, they said, oh, it's because she has beautiful eyes, that she's a great actress. No one had anything bad to say. Um, and then they, after, after they did that, they were actually, the same people, were presented with the arguments from the social justice warriors on their claims of whitewashing. Mm -hmm. And that did change things a little bit. But not to the point where it significantly changed the argument from those people on why she was chosen and no one really changed their opinion on the casting they said they could understand why this may be a controversy but no one said yeah that's right they probably should have chosen a japanese actress right so <clears throat> i liken this to something that uh my friend matt actually got involved with last year and i don't know if we discussed this on the podcast or not i know we certainly got into uh, a heated discussion online about it. But I, I liken this much to the controversy over the football team named the Redskins, right? Which was a hot topic last year. It's kind of died off since then, uh, by especially the social justice warriors here in America. But it turned out that the ones that it supposedly was most offensive to, which was the Native Americans, uh, that they were, that in the Washington Post poll of Native Americans, nine out of 10 or 90% said that they were not offended by the team name. So it turned out that 90% of the Native Americans that they polled were not offended by the Redskins' name. In the same case here, not, not that this is a scientific or mass poll that this, this gentleman took in Japan, but they weren't offended. It's more of the American people, mm -hmm. again, leading the charge for the social justice warriors, getting offended by something for someone else when those people wouldn't have even thought twice unless their arguments for whitewashing were actually brought up. Sure. You know? Sure. Um, <clears throat> so in response to my Facebook post about Ghost in the Shell, uh, Matt, my friend and former co-host on the show, chimed in and said he, that he disagrees with me. Uh, and we'll certainly get some more information from him on uh, what his thoughts are. And I'm sorry I have the camera, the laptop pushed away from me here a little bit, but <laughs> Please don't make it a. I, I don't know what it says. Sorry, um, my eyes are gone. So I am seeing comments here. It looks like Mike Steppen is probably saying hello to you for being on here. Oh, okay. Hey, Mike. Uh, so Matt, here's the thing. <laughs> and I said to Matt on my on my Facebook post uh, yesterday. If I, I, I want to have an honest conversation with you in person or on the phone where I get an immediate reaction without the luxury of time to respond or research on the computer to find what I'm asking, right? And my question would be this. If you're spending $110 million on a movie and expect to recoup that budget and actually make money without hiring an actor or actress that is an audience magnet, how do you do it? right how are you going to do that and with that in mind what this is the big question that i'd have for him what japanese actress out there has the recognition 
like a Scarlett Johansson does to help pull that kind of box office revenue in. Now, I'm a movie freak. I, 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 I see all movies, right? Mm-hmm. Offhand, I can't name a Japanese actress at all, right? So if that's the case, if he, if he said something to me, oh, this person who starred in this movie, I would still be likely to say, that's not a Scarlett Johansson, right. you know? And when you're talking about big-budget Hollywood movies especially for the appeal in America. I mean, they push out some pretty crazy Japanese movies over there sure. with their big action stars. Um, and China does the same thing. I mean, they have, like, that... Uh, the guy that actually starred in Star Wars Rogue One who played... Do you watch Star Wars stuff? I'm not a fan, but okay, I know okay. you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the the one guy that was in there was actually Ip Man in, okay. in their series over there. So he was huge. Never saw the movies. I know it's a crazy martial arts uh, like, uh, you know, entertainment movies and everything. And people went nuts and got excited over him being this blind Jedi temple protector. He wasn't actually a Jedi, but he had, like, this connection with the Force. You're like, get on with it, please. <laughs> hey, have at it. But, I, I just can't comment. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, things like that. It's a nice little throw-in, but again, to have him as a main character in an American movie probably wouldn't have that kind of draw and appeal. He was a secondary character in this movie, right? Sure. So, uh, you know, and, and I said, I believe we have talked about this before, but it is about being more of a business decision to have that movie actually make that money. You can throw out a $110 million budget for a movie, but if you can't exceed that, you, you if you meet it, you're toast, Right. Mm-hmm. Even if you just meet it and recoup your lo- your losses and in putting into the film, you have to exceed that. If you have any chance of making money on it, or as my friend who saw it, who said it was an excellent movie, I saw mixed reviews on it. He he's hoping that there's a sequel because obviously, if this is an anime over there, there are sequel potentials and everything. Mm-hmm. He wants to see a sequel. Well, that sequel is not going to happen probably unless they start making money on this. Sure. Um. I think it's kind of fascinating that everyone... This is... You're, you're going to like this. Oh, you fell asleep. No, you were drinking, so you don't remember too much. <laughs> I said it's fascinating that everyone celebrates white characters being replaced with more ethnic characters, like the handful in Beauty and the Beast, but get in an uproar when the reverse is done. Shouldn't the response be equal across the board when replacing traditionally known characters with different ethnicities or sexes? Because that's another one. Sometimes... They replace like a traditional female role with a male or most likely in the reverse direction. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't those same people that are in an uproar over this get in an uproar about the ethnicities that were replaced in the the French cast of Beauty and the Beast, right? Right. And I make a big deal out of that in my my review of Beauty and the Beast because it's a fantasy movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I said, you know, all these people are in an uproar about there being a potential uh, homosexual scene in it. But in the meantime, for over 20 years now, we've been applauding a princess going after a beast. Right. <laughs> you know, a beast. No worries with that. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> so. Well, he's French. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah, you yeah. got to let the French go on some things, right? So, uh, you know, do you have any more thoughts on this this topic at all? I I think you know the 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 two main things. There's two there's two issues that that we're looking at here. Number one is why didn't they make money? 
So I see something like this. I don't know who the target audience is. True. Yeah. Okay. It, I, it, I have if, some guesses, but... If yeah. you release a true-to-form anime version, the target audience is the fanboys we talked about. Yes. If you try to mainstream this, nobody who doesn't have a history with anime is going to be all overseeing this unless they are a die-hard Scarlett Johansson exactly. fan. Yep. Okay. I don't know how many die-hard Scarlett Johansson fans are that will go see a movie just because she's in it. Maybe there's a lot. She adds... She adds... Uh, uh, her career and the the experience she has to any movie she's in, True. if it's a good movie, uh-huh. but the fanboys aren't going to want to see this in my mind. Maybe they they do, but I, my gut feel is they wouldn't. They see it I'd as a bastardization. I don't know. I, I I think I think that this uh, this uproar is from. I don't think that they're fanboys. Okay, I'm going to throw that out. There. Well, and that's just a guess, but I think this has more to do with the social justice warrior type people. Looking at, I think, it, like I said, a day can't go by if they if a day goes by where they're not offended by something and they're digging for something and can't find anything to be offended by, mm-hmm. their day day is ruined. Sure, right? Um, and it's just like anything now. There were there's a couple things that have been going on. So the the big controversy actually in the same weekend. Not only that, you know what else opened up on this weekend? Power Rangers. So again, specific audience, right? I sure. didn't. I didn't like the TV show. Uh, I thought it was. <laughs> I thought it was really corny. Um, but that opened up at the same time, and that had the similar controversy that uh, that Beauty and the Beast did with. They they. Sh- they I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry to say this, but they shoehorned in a gay character. Okay. Right? The the what the yellow Power Ranger is a lesbian, and the articles I read that address this from the left. They were disappointed in both movies that they they touched the envelope but didn't push it, right? That this Power Ranger, uh, you she made mention of it but they never showed anything. In the movie, there was a three second dance scene at the end with LeFou and the other male when he was dressed in in a dress and the big dance sequence in Beauty and the Beast, but that's all there was, right? Um, Otherwise, I actually just watched with my daughters the animated version of Beauty and the Beast uh, within the last week. And LeFou was actually just as clingy and weird mm-hmm. as the the live-action one, right? And I thought, okay, one of the other issues was that Emma Watson, being the modern-day feminist that she is, which I don't think she really understands modern feminism versus like real feminism in my mind okay i think modern feminism is man-hating sure you know i think that there was a true feminist movement that actually served a purpose and you're actually seeing i think milo yiannopoulos has mentioned the the vast numbers of women that are leaving that that label because they don't agree with the Mm man-hating uh feminism of today but that being said emma watson's character she chose to go without the corset in the dress to pull everything together like the traditional French uh, dresses that were made. And instead of being a bookworm, she was one of the inventors along with her father in the movie, which they said that, but it looked like she was more of a tinkerer and handing him tools. I didn't really see that. Okay. Um, but where was I going with this? That was one of the other controversies, and I think that I think that all this stuff just kind of fell flat. I think that they are trying to shoehorn in these agendas in Hollywood, and 
people are taking notice, mm-hmm. right? And I don't think it's appreciated. As a matter of fact, Marvel uh, Comics, the president. This is I'm, I'm going down nerd trails here for it. Okay, so, no so problem. I'm sorry, because I keep on reading up on this stuff. Sure. So the the head of Marvel Comics said recently that in their quest to include uh, more female superhero characters and LGBTQ characters into their comics, they've lost their fan base. Right. That with all this uproar from social justice warriors that there isn't enough inclusion they felt that with enough uproar and outcry that they would have the possible that they should have this possibility of expanding their audience into uh, a more diverse uh, enlarged audience and actually get their comics out there and he's saying that since they took that route they've actually more so lost fan bases and that the people that fall into those categories are not reading comics even with this happening that should have been apparent from the beginning, right? When you try to shoehorn in an agenda, people take notice to it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so he, he literally said in an interview that this did not work and it was, it was detrimental to our sales. Well, there you have it. You know? Sure. This is happening everywhere. Now, that's, that's the difference between trying to shoehorn in a social agenda... Beauty and the Beast, Power Rangers, Marvel Comics, versus the audience or potential audience claiming, in this case with Ghost in a Shell, that uh, that there's a different agenda and that they're, you know, breaking a, a, an unspoken rule of casting according to lore, I guess you could mm-hmm. say, would be the best way of doing it. So... I kind of went off in all different directions. I, no, my I, mind is like, uh, you know, I, works like that, so... I mean, I... I... I think you know, like like we talked about from the from the business standpoint, uh, there's any one of or there's any number of reasons why it wasn't successful. Um, I I don't think the whitewashing or the social justice warrior aspect had anything to do with it. I, I don't think it had a financial aspect. Um, the social justice warrior component to this story or this outrage. We, people just love to be recreationally offended. Yes. You, you, <laughs> no matter no matter what you do, you're going to offend someone. And if you're an artist, that should be a goal of yours. Art should be an expression of yourself. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if art is an expression of yourself, there's going to be people who don't agree with you. I can't speak for if it's a good movie or not, but to say that they're being racist or not including people or trying to whitewash... They're trying to make money. If they wanted to stay true and not white and not whitewash or put a white character in and just continue the art, it'd still be in Japan. It would still be pure anime and they would continue that. Mm -hmm. And that's it. So so this, okay. So what you're saying is, and and I'm just going to be repeating basically what you just said is if, if this was so popular in the format that it was just continue with that format in Japan. Right. But this is an Americanized version of it. Sure. It's straight out of Hollywood. Sure. You know? So there, there's precedent there in Americanizing it to possibly have an American actress that will appeal to the audience. You know? It, I agree with that. It is It is what it is. I mean, it's, it's made in Hollywood. We're going to use the products that are the best sellers in Hollywood. And yeah. actress, actors and actresses are products. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll move on from that because I, I just ventured into multiple nerd pools there. 
this week, we w there was also an uproar from the left over the fact that Vice President Mike Pence does not have dinner alone with any woman other than his wife and also refuses to engage in gatherings where there's alcohol involved unless his wife is at his side. And people happen to be shocked over that. Headlines across sources were truly astounding to me in regards to this. Fortune, uh, Fortune's headline read, How Mike Pence's Dumb Dinner Rule Puts Women at a Disadvantage. The LA Times wrote, Mike Pence won't dine alone with a woman who's not his wife. Is, this, is that sexist? And the Atlantic's read, How Pence's Doodly Dinners Hurt Women. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, they're searching for something. I, you know, that's what I put. Uh, the Fortune writer wrote, <laughs> it's, it, I was actually calling my wife into the room as I was doing research for this because I just, she was just as spitting angry at this stuff as me, right? So the fortune writer wrote, it's bad enough to place women into buckets labeled with the obvious cliches, Madonna or whore, mother or mistress, bitchy or dim. Now we have to worry about being excluded from dinner tables just because we're female? Sigh. <laughs> so, uh, so she also said this, Let's set a few things straight. Because I'm under the assumption that just about everyone on earth can agree on the following. Number one, women are people too. Two, women are capable of dining with men without threatening marriages, his or hers. Three, women should be both seen and heard, often simultaneously. To be fair, Pence's comment was made in order to show his devotion to his wife and his belief in his marriage, and these are values that I imagine most everyone, regardless of religion or politics, can get behind. I fully support every, anyone's efforts to stay loyal to his wife, until, of course, he suggests that my mere presence would somehow make that less likely. Then you lose me. So I said in regards to this, isn't it a matter of perception, though, especially for celebrities, uh... <laughs> Sorry, especially for celebrities and politicians that are constantly under the microscope looking for something to criticize, even if both parties are faithful to their partners. Mm -hmm. Right? I, sure. I mean, there's a difference between you and I doing this, going out to dinner with someone that, of the opposite sex that's not our wives. I, I personally wouldn't do it. But there's a difference between me doing it and a politician in the status that Mike Pence is in, vice president. Or even a celebrity, even not even an A-list celebrity, people are always looking to pin something on someone, mm -hmm. and and that's actually that's actually a reflection on our society, which is they're looking for the negative aspects. We've we've completely lost touch with the reality of people trying to assume the best in other people and looking for positive things, uh, and instead are looking for something to be either offended about or mad about. Or, in some cases, even blackmail people over. Mm -hmm. uh, the LA Times wrote, Was this a sign of... This is, this is one that gets me. Was this a sign of marital devotion and respect? Or a signal that the Pences don't trust Mike Pence to be alone with a woman? Or perhaps don't trust a woman to be alone with Mike Pence? Lovely. <laughs> yeah. It's looking for the negative, is it not? Of course. Um... So I said, can we ever approach topics without assuming the worst in people? As the fortune writer said, most everyone can get behind the value of marriage, but appears in these like it appears in these like they are looking for an angle to destroy the man and his character 
over something that is obviously for the benefit of their marriage. So the Atlantic mentioned, and re, uh, mentioned a research scholar at UCLA Center for the Study of Women, which should be an indicator right there, <laughs> who wrote, when men avoid professional relationships with women, even if for noble reasons, it actually hurts women in the end. The research is irrefutable. Those with larger networks earn more money and get promoted faster. Because men typically dominate senior management, there's evidence that the most valuable network members may be men. Without access to beneficial friendships and mentor relationships with executive men, women won't be able to close the gender gap that exists in most professions. Oh, looks like your brother commented. Much better, he said. Okay, good. <laughs> um, uh, okay, so so they're saying here that in order to have a professional network available to women, okay, they have to be able to have these one-on-one -on -one interactions with men, and uh, I think she even mentor, mentioned mentorships, basically. Like mm -hmm. if there's a, a male in a senior position that he can mentor her and that she'll go faster and anything else. My question to that then is, you know, here's here's my compromise. Because I, I mention it later on on what gets in the way of this kind of stuff is let's say I'm the boss and I have a female worker that works beside me an assistant or something that's highly involved, right? Like vice president to the president in the company, okay? I would assume in a mentorship position that if I invite her into the office and there's people outside the office, I leave the door open, mm -hmm. right? I think that's a pretty good compromise. I wouldn't mind a one-on-one -on -one interaction as long as there can't be assumptions behind closed door, right? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Because it looks like you almost disagree. It's up to you. <laughs> I do. So there's a few components to this. Um, as much as... Number one, that the, you use the key word, and that's perception. Yes. Okay. This is not about, and and I, I personally have like a varied feeling on my personal life of whether or not I will meet one on one with a female that is not my wife. Okay. okay. Some situations I will, some situations I won't. Mm -hmm. Okay. I can't think of any one time I've had dinner with a female who is not my wife, not because I wouldn't. It might happen tomorrow for something with involved with my business. Mm. I never have. Okay, oh. I've oh, so I've been in a situation with business lunches where I have a female client. Okay. Okay. So in my experience, the the people that follow Mike Pence's um, thoughts on this or practice on this, it's a religious based thing, and it goes with perception of I don't want people thinking or assuming, as you were saying something other than is untoward or what is going on mm -hmm. purely in the in the interaction is happening okay great i do th think though okay so we take the open closed door scenario okay okay so in in my business managers are often going to have closed door conversations because privacy is of the utmost importance and is also some of the biggest uh, touchy points with any corporation now. Okay. 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 Confidential. Con confidentiality. Yep. And um, there's a lot of closed door meetings. Mm -hmm. I personally never think anything of it. 
it's it's two coworkers or a manager subordinate relationship. I I would expect the same closed door mentality if my boss was a female or a male. Okay. And they called me in for a confidential meeting about my performance, about our direction, about something that the general corporation populace does not need to hear. Okay. okay. So I personally don't don't make assumptions based upon hey the door's closed <laughs> well not you i'm okay. talking about and and i agree with you I, I don't think it's everyone again it's not everyone that looks for the negatives in society right right but i do think situations right is, and i'm talking third party situations like i've been in companies where you you wonder if there's something else going on on the side, right? Sure. And that door closes, and the gossipy person in the office is like, oh, there they go again, you know, what's going on behind me? And you're like, now it puts the perception in my mind because I don't typically think along that route, and I started to think along that route because someone's like, oh, you know, something must, something may be going on. Did you see the way that they look at each other? You know, it's always these, and it, that's office gossip people that, that sure. take charge and that kind of stuff. But I agree with you. I understand confidential things. Like, look, if you're hiring someone or firing someone or reprimanding someone, the door being open is sh is almost publicly shaming that person. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, in the case of firing or um, reprimand or anything like that. So I can understand that. But again, in that situation, there's it opens a door to possibilities where you close the door, you do that, and I'm I'm. I'm almost playing devil's advocate because, again, I think that the door should be closed for that. Mm -hmm. But let's say you fire someone of the opposite sex and they leave and say, you know, while he was, he, he brought me in and we started talking about something else and he started coming on to me and I wasn't having it, so he fired me. Well, how do you prove it? Well, right? You know, it's like... <laughs> generally, generally in, in my experience, it's, it's not a one-on-one -on -one for that. Okay. All Management, right. HR, and the employee. Okay, and that's that's to have have it out on the table. They take notes. They do the whole thing. Yeah, I've been in one situation where that wasn't the case. Okay, yeah. and I'm sure it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think I, I guess I I struggle to see the point in who cares what Mike Pence does. I care what Mike Pence does when he puts his suit on and goes into work that mm -hmm. morning. Who he has dinner with. You know, I don't care what Bill Clinton was doing either. Okay, and that's consistent until he lied. Okay, then I have a problem. That's consistency because I I've said that about um, about Trump, right during the primaries, which is the left that was up in arms over him saying things on a tour bus in private, mm -hmm. got all up in arms about that. But then in the nineties, were like. Uh, so he got a blowjob under the Oval Office desk. Who, who really cares? You know, that's between him and his wife. That doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, all I'm asking for in that situation is consistency. At sure. that point, you know, you're very consistent, and that's fine. If you if you think that this is not a big deal, then and you didn't think that that was a big deal, then that's consistency, and that's all I'm looking for. And I I disagree with you. But I also respect that. <laughs> if he's meeting behind a closed door with Assad's wife, <laughs> well, that might be a female that I'm going to say, "What's going on?" Here's here's my but thing it, on on high not because up she's positions. female, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah. Well, don't assume anything anymore. Either. 
Um, <laughs> so my problem with with high, with any politicians that have control over votes at high levels, mm -hmm. right? Getting involved in extramarital things is, especially in private, if it's an affair, it could be blackmail to do something. I mean, there's there's a possibility, that's true. and that's that's me thinking conspiratorial and everything. But there's mm -hmm. a you know look at look at Russia. They're always trying to do different things. Russia has some beautiful women. Okay, they send one of those over to you know. Oh, now we did this. By the way. You're gonna work with uh, Putin on something because if you don't, I'm coming out with what happened here. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's the kind of stuff that happens. And that you know, maybe I watch too much House of Cards. Who knows? <laughs> the the cap. The, I'm gonna say this: the capability that exists, regardless of, I, I think, regardless of how how he conducts himself behind closed doors. I think the capability for blackmail exists. I think the capability for a frame job exists that mm -hmm. could be so you know well orchestrated to a point that it could happen whether or not he did anything anyway. I, again, I um, the the other point I would want to make as much as it pains me to agree with uh, the social justice warrior angle on this. Okay, I don't disagree that if a if a female can't have a one on one business conversation with a male mm -hmm. of a higher position with a client, so let's say. You know, the woman is. Le I'm not going to say legal counsel because I would hope that's pretty cut and dry. But okay. her client is male, and she needs to earn that business. I have lots of clients that are female. I have lots of clients that are male. I don't treat them differently. It's my job to earn their business. Mm -hmm. And there's some conversations that have to be had behind closed doors. If the individual is a president of a company, you can't have a financial meeting necessarily in front of their employees. You you may be bringing up things that are not not public knowledge. Okay. And if we're ultimately moving towards equality, okay, not preferential treatment, I I think that possibly could hinder someone if they're not if it's looked down upon. Okay. That all aside, again, it's Mike Pence's decision. Respect the man for it or don't. But it does not affect how or what we think of him as a man does does not affect his his ultimate ability to ability perform to perform. His, you know, yeah, I'm, you know it's they want to hate him regardless. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. here's here's a good way to maybe maybe if I throw this spitball, if I could get forty two hundred likes of people <laughs> that also yeah. hate this man, they're down for it. Uh, let me just see. I'm, I'm just going to read through things. I might be repeating myself here, but I said, um, besides blatant infidelity, isn't it entirely possible that our culture, which has shown tendencies in the past to push people into lawsuits for sexual harassment over the slightest things that most would agree are not sexual harassment, that sexual harassment definition over the last decade has broadened to include some pretty stupid things. Sure. Like, listen, if you are verbally pursuing a female in an office environment antagonistically to the point where she just can't function anymore, then in that case, words are a problem, right? Sure. In most cases, I'm going to say, you know, words don't hurt. But if it's hurting your performance because you can't get your job function done, mm -hmm. then there's a problem there. But I'm hearing 
more ridiculous things lately as far as like sexual harassment and offhand I'm, I don't have like what I'm specifically referencing to but things like he shot me a look you know it's like come on but sure. Uh, the fact that there are no witnesses around to support someone being blamed for things when they may be innocent, especially in Washington, where you could be blackmailed for political purposes. So I just mentioned that. Uh, the Guardian wrote, while Republicans swoon over Pence's supposed old school propriety, the rest of us were simply reminded that you don't need to brag about grabbing pussies to be a misogynist. <laughs> If respecting your wife and marriage labels you a misogynist, I'll take that label from these. I'm with you. So, uh, they also wrote, it's an insulting view of men, a limiting role for women. We're there to either entice or domesticate in an archaic take on general gender roles more generally. So they're saying that women are there that essentially the view of the Pences and anyone that thinks like him is that these people are looking to just sleep with you or be with you in the end, take over your marriage, and that men, in this case, it, the the view on men is archaic and that, like, we're, we club women and, you know what I mean, like, <laughs> take them over. Hey, I'm going to drag you back to my house, whatever, cave. So... Well, the only other point that I, I kind of just thought of, okay, some people on the right in the past have used it pejoratively to describe Muslims as they can't even control themselves. They must gown their women in a certain way because they can't control themselves around women. So that's been an attack of Sharia law and customs of Islam. Okay, I've never made that point because I don't know if there's a religious purpose behind it i'm not sure i'm not i'm not refuting it or not refuting yeah it. i have yeah. no problem if their women want to want to wear that and i don't think you do want either. to want to being the key right. words, okay yes. yeah but that was something i've heard other yeah, people on the absolutely. right I've use that, that you know negatively to throw stones at at islam uh -huh. and then in the same token the social justice warriors were there to defend islam and say this is this is their choice this is their religion this is their tradition <clears throat> suddenly Mike Pence is doing the same thing <laughs> on a much more respectful level in my mind, mm -hmm. and he's a misogynist. Right. What are we talking about here? You bring up a great point, and that is that uh, within the last two weeks, I believe it was actually last week, did you see that Alicia Keys got in trouble for a tweet that she put out there of this woman in a burqa? And it was like, um, it was a woman in a burqa, and she was in a modeling pose, and her leg was kind of showing out of the burqa. And she went on this whole diatribe of, you know, you know, ex being accepting and loving people for what they want to wear and all this other stuff. And she actually had to delete the tweet because Muslims were responding saying, we don't want to wear this stuff. We're forced to wear this stuff. And the whole thing about accepting, this is pushed and dominated on us, you know. Um, that So that kind of leads into what you were saying there. And, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. You're, you're comparing traditions, and the, the social justice warriors will defend one case because it's, it's a different religion than Christianity. Christianity, I'm sorry, but is very much under attack sure. all the time. And, and it's not under attack like it is over in the Middle East where uh, we're lined up on shores and beheaded. You know, mm -hmm. I can understand that kind of persecution, how people would try to compare that. Uh, instantly on the left and say, oh, please, you know, Christianity is not under attack. 
story after story. You know, if, if it's a lawsuit involving Christians against someone else, especially if it's those people against the Christians, those people are going to win mm-hmm. in today's culture. And, you know, it's the, the crazy thing is all these stories, especially in regards to Christians, and again, this, this comes back to the Baker's case and everything like that with making a cake for a wedding for an LGBTQ uh, couple or anything. Um, it always comes down to the fact that the type of people that engage in these lawsuits are saying, hey, let us, let us live the way that we want to live, right? And we should be able to marry, we should be able to do this and that. And now, I'm back and forth. I'm very libertarian on that. Because in some cases, my religion says one thing, but God's the ultimate judge in my mind. So if that's what happens and they push that through, I actually don't have that much of a problem with it. I would rather the states have a decision in it. Sure. But if that's the case, shouldn't there be a level of respect where, okay, I agree. Live and let live. But live and let live with me too. Like Mm -hmm. if if I'm a business owner, private business owner especially, and I don't want to participate in what my religion views as sin, then just leave me alone. Go find another person to do business with. How many cake makers are out there? How many photographers, videographers, uh, wedding planners and everything else in regards to that specific industry? You know, in most of these cases, they were customers for years prior to that for everything else. You know, in in a lot of cases, I think if you were to uh, ask someone like a photographer, right, that didn't want to participate in that kind of wedding, if you said, listen, take that scenario out of the equation, would you do photography for their birthday party if they had one? The photographer would be like, absolutely, because that has nothing to do with what we're viewing as wrong, right? Mm-hmm. It's actually participating in what their religion views as a sin. And again, what you kind of brought up is the comparison of the Muslim faith versus the Christian faith. The The left is so quick to defend the Muslim faith, which is much harsher mm-hmm. than Christian faith on things, because Christians are like, I don't agree with that, leave me alone. Muslims are like, I don't agree with that, off with your freaking head. You know what I sure. mean? I mean? There's a big difference there. Or I'm going to stone you to death, or in the case of homosexuals, throw you off a building. I mean, that's what's happening over in the Middle East. And the fact that we're getting into these arguments here about, you know, businesses participating in weddings when there are actually cases of homosexuals being thrown off of buildings just makes my ears and and eyes bleed. Sure. I think the the only other point I would make is you mentioned Christianity is under attack. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest reasons is you look at who it's under attack from, okay? Physically under attack by um, radicals in Middle Eastern countries, yes. okay? Yep. The verbal and the societal pressure that's being put on Christians here now, Christians are an easy target, mm-hmm. okay? And I see a lot of the people that are that are against Christianity and, and are... Uh, or have no problem putting down Christian ideals or or um, trying to call out Christians for being wrong or not progressive because of their beliefs. I find that they they came from Christian backgrounds a lot of times. Maybe their parents were, maybe their grandparents were, maybe something along those lines. And I think it's really a subtle form of racism to, or not racism, but prejudice, okay? Yeah, yeah okay. I'm going to call it racism, but that's not I was wondering where the angle was going. But go ahead, no longer. Okay, racism um prejudice to say 
Christianity is bad, but Islam isn't. Or white people are bad, but another race isn't. Because you almost feel guilty or bad about being Christian, coming from a Christian background, being white, coming from a white background. It's almost a subtle form of prejudice or, you know, I find this more with race. Okay. By almost feeling like, well, we have to, we have to treat them nice because... Because, oh, because you know, be blamed for something. they they have you know, look what we've done to this group. Look, uh, we Christians have been in power, and you know, it's how demeaning is it to say that we must treat them differently because they're they're not Christian. We got to treat we have to treat them with kid gloves. Hmm. That is demeaning. But they have no problem treating a Christian poorly because they feel they're in a place of power, and also because they don't fight back. Right, we don't, we don't fight back. Uh, you know, it's like true Christian, true Christians. Now, you know, you take cases like the Westboro Baptist Church where they're just they're nut jobs. You're talking about outliers there, right? Sure. But in most cases, when you're talking about Christians, you're talking about people who, if they understand their faith completely, they can they disagree with things, and they they fight as much as they can. I think legally and verbally. But they don't, we don't we don't physically fight for what we believe in. I don't think. Not recently. Not recently. <laughs> it's been a <laughs> while. It's been a while. Uh, but you know, it's like, and that makes it that makes it easy targets because, you know, okay, we're gonna go against them. What the hell are they gonna do? Mm-hmm. Whereas, hey, you know, you draw a cartoon of Muhammad and you're done. Like that is literally what happened in France. Uh, was it Nice? Yes. Uh, where? Or, well, Charlie uh, Hebdo. Charlie Hebdo. Yep. Where they he made a cartoon about Muhammad and they killed him. Yes. They killed him. <laughs> so. Okay. So that's the that's the brutal reality, non humorous part of of this situation. I consider myself a kind of sore of political memes, and I brought this up to you before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One of my favorites of all time is after that that poor family lost everything over, not. I think it was the florist or the cake, the, okay, the wedding. Yeah, yep. They they lost the, the the high profile case. Can't remember the names of the people involved. There was a meme that came out that had a, you know a guy on a phone saying, "Hey, Islamic baker of Baltimore, I need that Muhammad cake by this Friday." Yes, you have to, you know. And <laughs> yeah. it it was kind of a well, yeah, yeah. Why do they have to? While you were talking, I actually thought of another perspective on this that I've actually brought up in the past, and I don't know if I've talked about it in. The podcast, but I've certainly written about it in the past on Facebook and everything. And that is, I have talked about it on the podcast. It was actually one of the first ones. It's the, it's the difference between liberals and conservatives, politicians wise. Okay, not citizen wise. I try not to attack citizens because, look, you have a view that's yours and everything but when your view is legislated down to me like I should be able to say what I want to say about you you know what I mean sure so here's a here's a big difference between what I think in regards to liberals and conservatives and I don't mean to demean anyone um, that may be watching or anything but I think that the biggest difference and this is this is apparent in this case and in Bill Clinton's case is that with Republicans it's harder it's harder to be a Republican than it is to be a liberal. And the reason for that is because Republicans base their policies and morals and principles on a foundation of 
oftentimes faith and a moral code. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when that moral code is broken, it's a it's a far fall because you've set your standards high, and that fall is going to hurt your butt a lot more from a from a higher up distance, right? So in the case of um, was it Mark uh, Sanford uh, out in New Jersey that was playing footsies under the stall with another guy? I don't remember. I forget who the who the politician was, but a Republican. He went in. That's like a signal for gay sex or something like that. Hmm, got caught for that, and he took a huge fall for it. Right, and the reason is because Republicans typically have the stance: number one, that went against the Christian faith; number two, if he's a Republican, then there's the questionability about homosexual type things mm -hmm. right there, and policy wise. So that was a big fall. Now, in the in the case of Bill Clinton and him having an affair. Look, when that news broke and he actually came out and said that he lied, the biggest thing, like you said, was the lie, right? Most people were like, who cares if he was getting a blowjob in the, in the Oval Office or what he did, right? And the reason for that is because Bill Clinton and those on the left don't have a moral code that they uphold or stick to in the public eye. I mean, he could have walked out there on camera and literally said to his followers, yeah, I, uh, I hooked up with Monica Lewinsky, but hey, I'm not out here saying that marriage is a uh, a traditional thing that I honor and everything like that. You know, that's that's the Republicans that with their biblical view of marriage and stuff like that. Uh, I never say anything about cheating or anything. There's no moral code to being a liberal right. at all. You know, which is why they can be offended by everything. I think the moral code to being a liberal is you better have the moral code of today's date. Yeah. Tomorrow we're all going to get another moral code. And we're all going to get really, really serious about that. Yeah. But we're going to forget about it by yeah. Friday. And then we're going to have another moral code on Friday. And whatever we thought about Tuesday, that's old news. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's see here. We talked about that. The Daily Beast took their digs at the VP over his involvement mm -hmm. in votes on women's health issues. Uh, but the writer did point out some, pop, so, some supportive things. Uh, she said... There are sensible reasons that somebody like Pence would avoid being alone with women. He was first elected to Congress in the shadow of the Clinton sex scandal years. During that time, a self-preserving politico would be wise to avoid any appearances of sexual impropriety. Plus, Pence's choice to avoid being alone with women is a function of his religious faith. It's hard to fathom similar left-wing backlash if Pence's conduct were informed by a non-Christian faith. So you were actually hitting points before we actually... I'm sorry. <laughs> that is great. That's what I'm looking for, is people actually think about things. So, any final thoughts on this at all? I think we pretty much covered the bases. Yeah, it's phony outrage. Yeah, exactly. We'll see how we're doing here. Okay, so we've been going for an hour. So, I just want to tell you again that this is the Generation Y Conservative Podcast. If you're just tuning in, I have my guest here, Gabe. Uh, so far, we actually talked about the Ghost in the Shell controversy of whitewashing. And we just got done talking about Vice President Mike Pence and his, um, his kind of moral, religious-based code of not being alone in a room, like with dinner or anything like that, with another woman other than his wife. And there were a bunch of... Oh, excuse me. A bunch of articles that came out in regards to that where people were just attacking him and calling him a misogynist and a sexist and how much that type of policy hurts people. Some disagreement on, on the side over here from, from my guest co-host saying that he agrees in some ways with that and I can understand 
where he was coming from on that, and some of those situations were uh, very well laid out by him on why that would be the case, why you would want to um, have that kind of confidential meeting in some cases, especially in regards to proprietary information from companies, so that only certain people are usually privy to that information. You don't want to invite someone else in that could hurt the company by releasing that. So that's understandable. Um, again, if you're watching right now, you can always tune in on Fridays at 9 p.m. for the live broadcast, which we're doing. You can also find me on Facebook and YouTube by searching for the Generation Y Conservative. You can interact with me on Twitter by going to at Gen Y Conservative without the E on the end. And you can find the audio versions of this podcast on Google Play, Stitcher, uh, and iTunes, uh, and that's actually put out by KLRN Radio, which you can listen to on the internet radio station on Sundays at 3 p.m. when this broadcast actually is repeated um, at 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. They picked me up right after CPAC where I met them, and that was a phenomenal opportunity, and hopefully that relationship grows into more things. As a matter of fact... Um, We'll see. It looks like I might be involved in CPAC next year instead of being a volunteer, uh, actually going down with the radio network if there's an opportunity for that. So I might be broadcasting live from CPAC in that case, and that would be really cool. Okay, so uh, one of our big topics tonight. Neil Gorsuch was appointed as the 113th Justice to the Supreme Court to fill Justice Antonin Scalia's seat with a 54-45 to 45 vote in the Senate. Judge Gorsuch possesses the credentials typical of the modern Supreme Court justice. He is a graduate of Columbia, Harvard, and Oxford. That's crazy. Served as a Supreme Court law clerk and worked as a lawyer at a prestigious Washington law firm and at the Justice Department. He joined the United States Court of Appeals for the Tenth Circuit in Denver in 2006, where he was widely admired as a fine judicial stylist. It's important to note, I believe, that three Democrats in the United States Senate, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, Heidi Heitkamp of North Dakota, and Joe Manchin of West Virginia, broke ranks with their party this afternoon to join with Republicans in voting to confirm Judge Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court. Uh, and it's important to, to point that out because they did not play into the child's play games of Washington that both sides are guilty of playing against the other side at any given time. Uh, before we go on, any any thoughts on this at all? Keywords, child's play. That's for it is, sure. It is, and yeah. both sides are guilty. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, terribly. And we'll actually get into that regarding Garland and the Republicans. Sure. Um, I'm actually interested in your your thoughts on that. So let's go back to that. The reason this was a big deal is because Obama's nominees for a Supreme Court last year, Garland, was denied a hearing in front of the Senate by Republicans. Here's my thoughts on it. It was Obama's duty to propose a nominee, and he did. It was the duty of the Senate to hold a hearing on Garland. They didn't. The Republicans acted childishly and refused to do what they were supposed to do. Uh, I do believe that in the last term of a president with a major election around the corner, it is the duty to appoint a nominee and also the responsibility of the Senate to hold a hearing, but I believe in the circumstances the Republicans should have voted no and left it to the American people to vote for who they wanted to replace a justice's seat. And what I mean by that is they should have at least held the hearing for him. Okay. And then voted no. Right? Sure. I think they were they took their their uh, their toys and went home in this case. 
in a second, I, uh, particularly in a second presidential term with no midterms to worry about, it actually allows a president on either side to appoint radicals to the Supreme Court if there's no repercussions for re-election or anything. You yeah. know, so I think in the case of what happened last year, he did his duty. He he uh, proposed Garland for the Supreme Court. The Republicans should have held the hearing and voted no, saying, listen, we don't agree with these stances that he takes, and so we're voting no. And we also believe that the American public should have more of a say of who appoints the next justice to the court. And if Hillary Clinton believes that Garland should be on the Supreme Court, she can make that known in the primaries and the, and the general election t uh, period of time. And people can vote for her so that can get pushed through, mm -hmm. you know. But if people are upset with the way that things have been going over the eight last eight years or even the last four because their votes could have changed since they voted in 2012, then they should be able to have a say in what goes into this Supreme Court justice pick who doesn't have a term. This is a life right. term. This is, this is why it was so important to me who... And I don't know your stance. I don't, I don't think I ever got it. I know that you agree with some things that he's been doing, at least. But I was a never-Trump person, you know? And that all changed the day that Justice Scalia died. You know? I mean, it was that was, for a political moment in history, earth-shattering for me. Um, I, I realized at that point in time, this is more important than the presidency. Oh, by far. But yeah, I mean, absolutely. So this guy has the—they they mentioned in the one article. This guy has the potential, at the age of—I uh, don't know if I wrote it down here. He has a potential of like thirty to forty years of serving on the on the Supreme Court right now because sure. of his age. Sure. And that's what I was actually most scared of with with Hillary Clinton is the fact that Hillary is radically leftist, mm -hmm. right? She had she idolized Woodrow Wilson who was one of the first progressives. She favored FDR's proposals, mm -hmm. who was progressive, right? And she sides with Planned Parenthood mm -hmm. and, and believes that Margaret Sanger was a fantastic individual, even when Margaret Sanger literally started Planned Parenthood to rid minority communities of minorities. Sure. You know? um, Hillary Clinton is radical. And, and the way that today's culture is going, with colleges pumping out radicals, Right, she could literally have picked someone that entered the the legal system right out of college that's a radical to serve for fifty plus years. Mm -hmm. You know that's a possibility. And with people like Diane Feinstein and uh, Barbara Boxer and who's the um, the one that Bill O'Reilly just got in, Maxine Waters, mm -hmm. right? Uh, you have. Late Patrick Leahy, uh, the Saturday Night Live guy, Al Franken, oh, like yeah, these guys yeah. are all radicals, and that's that, which leads me to another point. I, I this is like ADD stuff. <laughs> I just keep on going off in all these directions. But what happened during this was, especially during the health care bill, all this stuff has been mixed up, right? Gorsuch and that stuff, the health care bill, which was Obamacare light in my mind, and all these other decisions. And what we had was. The news was picking out these Republicans that were defecting from the Republican Party. The conservatives, mostly. Sure. Uh, that uh, Freedom Caucus of the House, 
you know, people that sided with the Heritage Foundation and everything. And the big news, instead of being these specific topics and what was going on, was that there were conservative defectors from the Republican Party and that there was infighting, right? Mm -hmm. And I personally believe that's a sign of different ideas, which cultivated make a better society when you can argue out those ideas. The left, on the other hand, when are there any defectors? It's like, you know, I might as well just push on your head and like get it bobbling. You yep. know what I mean? Yep. That's all it is with them. Um, let's see. While the Republicans in the Senate... Oh, I'm sorry, here. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I did say that. Okay. While the Republicans in the Senate were guilty of playing games, both President Trump and Gorsuch were innocent in the situation, and this seemed to be more of a vendetta against the president. So, again, okay, let's go back to the original players in the Garland mm -hmm. uh, incident. President Obama, Garland himself, the Republicans in Congress at the time, and the Democrats in Congress at the time. Gorsuch wasn't involved. Donald Trump wasn't involved. Yet there's a vendetta against Donald Trump, and that's why they refused up until this point, well, still refused, basically, to appoint Gorsuch to the court. When they had, he had nothing to do with that situation. Right. Now, the Republicans in Congress, that's a different story in my mind. But at this point, vote on the merits of this person. Like, sure. They're not getting over the past. No. You know? God, I, 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 I ramble on, so go ahead if you have anything to say. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I, I'm not extremely well-versed on the legalities of and the process that must be followed. I'm learning a lot as I watch this go down. Oh, I know. Yeah. Okay, I... I you know, admittedly not, not up on this. Uh -huh. um, selfishly, I, I want it to be a conservative pick, okay, as I'm sure you do as well, okay? Yeah, I mean, even but, just to replace, he's replacing the conservative. Right, of the, of right, the Supreme Court. right. Um, so, as a, as a, uh, an American citizen, um, you, you want balance, okay? So the, the, the fight between, that the, the Republicans are, a mess right now. The, the conservatives yeah. are a mess, right? And it's uncomfortable to watch. But you brought up a good point. It's it's almost refreshing because this is supposed to be what we are creating in our, in our government. It's yes. supposed to yes. be. Yes. We're not used to it. No. Okay. But it's supposed to be what we have. The bipartisan nature of our government sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's it's uh, especially and, and, when there's only two parties involved. And so it leads to the child's play. Yeah. It's, uh, we have the power now. I'm going to hurt you. Not because the American people are getting hurt, but because you're not me. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> reading uh, Gorsuch's um, history and not really seeing where they're disagreeing with him as the choice, as the person who's going yep. to be carrying out the laws great yeah let's how about you find another way to make fun of trump go back on saturday night live yeah how about you make his life a living hell there and that is the last point that i i bring up in uh in this but we'll get to that in a second one thing i did say is senator chuck schumer proposed waiting until april 24th and also mentioned not holding confirmation until the president wasn't under investigation again isn't this on the merits of gorsuch himself Right. So what's interesting, though, is that Senator Schumer is only recently a critic of Gorsuch, as he and multiple other recent critics like Patrick Leahy 
Dianne Feinstein, Dick Durbin, Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, John Kerry, and Joe Biden all voted for Gorsuch, Gorsuch's approval back in 2006 when he was nominated to serve on the U.S. Court of Appeals by President George W. Bush in 2006. And he was actually confirmed unanimously with a 95-0 to zero vote in the Senate. Wow. So all those people that are involved in this hearing with him over the last couple of weeks that are the biggest defectors from this this uh, this appointment of him are ones that voted for him in the past with no problem, a unanimous vote of 95 to 0 in 2006. So, so the same group of people that supported Gorsuch's ideals, his platform, not platform, but his, what he's about, they supported it, are now not supporting it as a stronghold method there's only one group suffering and that's you and i <laughs> yes and all the democrats as well yeah and and i think citizens need to be made aware of that i mean that that's just horrendous yeah and and this goes to your other point that i said i was going to get to i said i find it funny that the majority of the criticism over gorsuch's appointment had more to do with the controversy surrounding trump's appointment and the denial of obama's than the actual merits of gorsuch who is obviously praised and appreciated on both sides until his recent hearings, in which case the left went to great lengths to dig up hardly critical observations that held little water out of the more than 3,000 rulings he presided over as the um, U.S. Court of Appeals out in Denver. 3,000. I mean, did you hear some of the cases that that they were bringing up against him? No, like the I, ice truck driver and stuff like that? I haven't been too tuned into that it's just ridiculous i mean if you go back I, i'm not going to hold you accountable to like knowing that <laughs> stuff because i'm i'm the one that you know follows up on all this stuff but uh the cases that they brought up you just i sat there and i watched them like you gotta be kidding me this is really what we're talking about right now you know again we're we're it's a, a it's the same scenario as the social justice warriors being recreationally offended yeah. They are recreationally partisan. We, we're going to do this just because we can. And that's yep. that's unacceptable for elected officials. And uh, You seem to be very aware of the uh, divisiveness and partisan you know, mentality of Washington in that it's just child's play games, right? Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts over the last couple years now since maybe even 2008 of emerging third parties and their their likelihood of succeeding in future elections I I don't have a whole lot of thought on the likelihood of of them succeeding that's going to happen organically it's I do, really do you don't see know steam? do you see steam in the movements though I so I'd say it's a steady increase but very slow Yes, yeah. um, I would say this year there there was some you know no candidate that would make any sense, which was the you know Austin Peterson is a, I'm a huge fan of Austin Peterson. I think he should have won for the libertarian vote over Gary Johnson, who just looks like a nutcase all the time. Oh. And the fact that well, first of all, let me just let me just preface this by saying when Aleppo made the news, I had no idea what Aleppo was, right. Yeah. But if you're running for president, you better have advisors on all this stuff, right? But that, I think that was a defining moment for him. As soon as he didn't know what Aleppo was, everyone just jumped on him for it, right? 
Again, going back to the memes, you can't bomb Siri if you don't know where it is. <laughs> Which is the one I posted today. <laughs> um, okay, so let's get into the main topic for tonight, which I think is the most important. Um, there was a chemical weapon attack in Syria, and the blame is being thrown around as to who is responsible, or in the case of Russia, whether it was a chemical attack at all, believe it or not. So here's what's known. And we'll take this case by case in, in, in regards to the details. On Tuesday, there was a chemical bombing in the rebel-held northern Syria, western... Uh, I, I'm sorry, in rebel-held northern Syria. Um, this happens to be an area that is terrorist-held, I guess, from what they're saying. And... Let's see. Okay, I get to this in here. Assad and the Russians appear to be blaming the terrorists who they were bombing for having the munitions in the first place and that the bombings is what set them off. It seems to be is what they're saying. To me. So the the so there were the terrorists' munitions set off the regime's chemical weapons. <laughs> you you're you're labeling Assad as the terrorist in that case? No, no. No, no, that's what I'm saying. So Assad, He calls everyone terrorists. True, that's true. If they oppose them, they're terrorists. Yeah, I think uh, ISIS-controlled uh, parts of the northern region, these people had chemical weapons, and Assad came in, bombed them, and I think the Russians were involved in the bombings too. And that those bombings set off chemical munitions that ISIS had on the ground. Oh, okay. And that's what happened. That's okay. what they're saying. Gotcha. Okay. Right? I misunderstood. Now, Western leaders, including President Trump, are blaming the Syrian government of uh, President Bashir al-Assad and called on its patrons like Russia and Iran to prevent a reoccurrence of what many described as a war crime. You know, you don't hear too much about Iran anymore. Is that just me? Cause when, you don't. I, it, it's all it's all Putin right now. And, yeah, yeah. You know, because... Uh, when Ahmadinejad was in the picture, like, that guy was crazy he was scary i really thought we were going to war when during his time they haven't changed it's no they just... haven't yeah because it's the uh al khamenei is that like the ayatollah, yeah. ayatollah yeah ayatollah, yeah, ayatollah khamenei. Khamenei. yeah uh that's a person that reside that holds power above uh ahmadinejad's position mm -hmm. and he is even crazier than ahmadinejad sure i am shocked <laughs> that nothing has happened and, and frankly when they said Iran is involved in Syria and everything I'm like geez Iran I haven't heard Iran for a while <laughs> you know well and that was a comment that I had heard last night um, again all speculation news news anchors have to talk about something for three hours while they have nothing more to talk about so yep. I heard many times it very well could be all these all the aircraft at this site are already in Tehran I heard that I heard that at least a half dozen times in an bombed. hour. The airfield yes, that we the bombed. airfield that we bombed. They said it is very possible that the aircraft is the aircraft were scrambled and sent to Tehran. So why would that be the case? <laughs> I don't Play know. I just wargame that out. Why why that would be the case? Why would we? Because we have satellite imagery, sure, or drone footage, sure, of where we're going, right? So why would we bomb an airfield that doesn't have any airplanes on it? If that's the case, <laughs> it could. So they're saying to okay, we're working with the Russians to put together some type of, uh, I don't, not a false flag. That's the wrong word, but I, I heard that was the other uh, theory is that this is a coordinated 
deal with the Russians since the Russians are fully Us aware of all this. The I heard that as well today. Again, I have no idea. Yeah, no, and I, I don't either. And I, I just I, I like to war game things out and understand sure. why things are happening the way that they're happening. So here's my thing. Here's what I'm imagining. If if we're looking at satellite imagery of what we're bombing, we have a clear picture of where mm -hmm. we can send mi these Tomahawk missiles. Mm -hmm. I believe it's Tomahawks. Yes. Uh, like precision. Mm -hmm. Like if those are the ones I'm thinking of, they can literally guide those into air ducts in buildings. Like from the top, not like through air ducts, right? But you can aim for that air duct and put it in there, okay? Right, as a as a pressure point or whatever for an explosion. So we have to have imagery. If we're looking at an airfield and we don't see any airplanes, and that's obviously not something that the public is seeing on anywhere on the news, right? Right. The only reason why I can figure we are bombing that is a sign of strength without actual repercussions. Sure. That Because in the end, the government could be like, okay, we get the point. You you have the control. You have the ability to do this to us. You didn't hit our airplanes or anything. But that's not going to go public. Mm -hmm. You know? And and actually, that kind of stuff feeds into what I, what I get into later here, which is uh, in regards to Obama and Syria, which is a history. Mm -hmm. Right? Um, so what it said here is that 86 people, 26 of which were our children, died in this chemical attack. And the way this article wrote it, it's, it's pretty devastating. Some were writhing, choking, gasping, or foaming at the mouth after breathing in poison, which Turkish Health Ministry identified as a deadly poison sarin, which is banned, uh, according to a treaty, uh, which Assad signed within the last two years, I believe. According to witnesses, doctors, and rescue workers, they said that the toxic substance spread after warplanes dropped bombs in the early morning hours. Some rescue workers grew ill and collapsed from proximity to the dead. Um, usually I throw up pictures in my videos on some of these things uh, that I'm talking about, especially in the edited YouTube version videos. I'm not going to do that in this case because I actually saw some of the pictures of the children that were affected by an obvious chemical attack and it's it's those types of things that you can't get out of your head especially sure. if you're a parent you know? sure can't unsee it um, so if you're interested in seeing that you know look here, here's what I say um, sometimes you have to face the harshest realities of our world today to understand how you're going to argue okay so in the case of islam and i'm just going to bring this into this real quick i don't think you have a leg to stand on when you're talking about these terrorists unless you've watched the video of daniel pearl being beheaded okay i've actually seen that i have as well and it's it's brutal i still remember every minute his, every second of it his screaming mm -hmm. and gurgling uh it's that sticks with you mm -hmm. and i don't think that you can have a true i don't want to say appreciation for i guess not appreciation for the situation but for the argument against these people uh unless you've watched that because when when i'm being argued against on islam and there's a difference between islamic and muslim okay when i'm hearing arguments for islam protection uh protectionism from the left against any of the arguments that I have, 
that's what's playing in the back of my head. And I'm thinking to myself, how could you argue this after seeing that? But I guess in, in, then I have to rethink, okay, they probably haven't seen what this kind sure. of, these kind of people are capable of. Um, but yeah, so these toxic substances spread after the warplanes dropped the bombs. And, uh, you know, just visually in your mind, if you don't want to actually see the pictures, uh, their limbs are kind of curled up. Uh, their, their skin is yellowish. Um, and there's foam and just, uh, it's, it's horrifying. It's almost like, um, like the ring after the, mm. uh, the horror movie after yep. they, they were finally killed by, uh, Samara, Samara, I think is her name or whatever, but it's, it's that bad. It's really bad. Did you did you say that you I, did see a pictures or no? I did not. I saw the Daniel Pearl thing. I did not yeah, see okay. the, the. I did not see the children with the chemical warfare. Okay. Uh, if these munitions were in the possession of Assad, it would actually bring to light the lies that were told by President Obama and the Secretary of State at the time, John Kerry, that 100 percent of the chemical weapons of Syria had been turned over within the last couple of years. That is something that both of them came out and said. We now have possession of 100% of the chemical weapons that Assad had after the signing of the treaty. So, if this is proven to have... Which, I don't really understand how you would even be able to prove that at this point. Once they're detonated, people are able to do that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there might be satellite footage that you could backtrack and see. Um... I don't know, but if that's the case, then we were also lied to as American people by the previous president and the Secretary of State, John Kerry. So, maybe I'm oversimplifying it, but even if we weren't lied to by them, why are we, how can we possibly trust Assad? How can we possibly trust another government? Yeah. And I'm not saying he is lying, but it's, it's not exactly your closet. It's Syria. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, you know, we made the deal with Iran, too, and they're not going to do these things because we made that deal, right? Yeah. You know, I, 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 that, I, that never... I'm oversimplifying drastically, but that never made any sense to me. Uh, the paying of the, like, billions or trillions of... It was billions, I think, of Well, dollars. yes. No, I'm, I'm just saying in general, yes, they signed this treaty. Great. What does that mean? Well, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Yeah. What you're... It's, and it always seemed like Obama drew red lines, and then once they were crossed, it was like, "Well, I'm just going to draw it out here now instead." Sure. You know, he he was he was a pushover president. Sure. You know, and and the the most he fought was against Republicans. Mm -hmm. So he actually fought more against American people that disagreed with him than actual governments. He he stood against the American people. Sure. And stood for things like the uh, Arab Spring in, in Egypt. He, he stood for, the, for the, um, the, the protests in Egypt and didn't stand with the protesters in Iran. And those are two situations that should have both gone the other way. Right. You know? And so he was wrong on so many fronts. It was unbelievable. I mean, that it's, it's one of those things. He was, he, he, he was a slick talker like no other. And so many people put blinders on with it, mm -hmm. you know. When it's delivered the way he delivered it, it's easy to put the blinders on because status quo feels pretty comfortable. Right now, status quo, there is no status quo. Okay, <laughs> you cannot predict this guy at all. No, um, you can't put blinders on, which is really uncomfortable, but yeah. also really n almost necessary. 
that we have this shake up so the American people are actually watching. Yeah. Let's talk about Tommy suing Beck. <laughs> ben said, uh, let's talk about Tommy suing Beck. I actually haven't heard that yet. Um, so maybe we'll have that in the next podcast in the coming week. We'll see. Because that's a topic I've been following along with and uh, had things to say on that. Um, we could talk about that quickly on, on sure. one front after this. Uh, okay, so the reaction to this chemical attack was swift by the administration. While having dinner with China's president, President Trump also addressed the nation and said he launched a missile attack on a Syrian airfield in response. That strike involved 59 Tomahawk missiles. Trump, unlike Obama, unlike Obama clearly laid out a red line not to cross and took action when it was. Obama just kept redrawing the lines, which is what I said before. Russia responded to Trump's action by sending a Russian warship toward the U.S. destroyers that launched the missiles. I had a funny thing. <laughs> I have to tell you. Um, can't say who I know uh, in, a, in a public pro podcast or anything, but uh, they serve on a submarine, a nuclear submarine, right? And the... One of the running jokes. I think I saw a meme. We, you and I must be into memes a little too much. But <laughs> admittedly, I said, yes. I said, uh, you know, I saw the pictures of U.S. destroyers. I don't know if they were the ones that launched the missiles, but I said if it was a submarine that launched it, it would just be a picture of water. These are the ones that launched the missiles. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the surface of the water, and you can't see anything. So I'd go for that one. Yeah, I'd go for that meme. <laughs> um, but so, so here's. Let me see if... Uh, okay, I didn't go into that. So, one of the other big things that's going on right now is North Korea is bat crap crazy. Mm. Okay? So, we're actually dealing with so many different situations. Trump is being put to the test uh, on foreign soil. Okay? Um, it's a hard one. I, I disagree that we should have taken a first strike in response to Syria. I don't think we should have done that. I think... It's the same thing with, with rhetoric that's out there, right? I don't like to get, or I take caution with getting involved with things like Tommy that Ben's talking about. I What I did when I laid out the, my Tommy uh, situation in the two podcasts ago on what I think was happening, I clearly said, this is my assumptions. These are why I think it's going this way. But it's hard when you're, when you're getting involved with the rhetoric of people to assume things, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, in this case here, the details aren't clear. I mean, there's so many that we're throwing out things. You're, you're throwing out things that you heard. I'm throwing out things that I heard on both sides. Uh, what we, well, here's what we do know. Chemical, a chemical attack killed people mm -hmm. in Syria. Mm -hmm. And Russia was involved. The Syrians were involved. We launched missiles. Right. <laughs> I mean, those are the clearest facts of this whole case, right. you know? And everything else is basically going on assumption or, you know, sarin. Uh, they, I guess they tested that and, and confirmed that was sarin. But in, the, in regards to North Korea, he's also being tested there. And, and the crazy thing about the North Korean uh, situation is they're launching. They keep on launching uh, missiles into the ocean... And the the scary thing is that where they are doing their test detonations, 
is basically near the atmosphere more, right? Okay. And a lot of people are claiming that this is just North Korea being completely dumb. They can't get their own stuff under order. Uh, that they're, uh, what's it, anti- basically antiques of what, what sure. weaponry is and everything. The problem is that's typically the height at which EMPs are triggered. Okay. Right? And if there's one thing, I think they said like 90% of the U.S. population, if our power was wiped out by EMP because that affects computer chips in everything, it fries them, right? So it's not like, oh, let's wait for them to get the uh, power stations back and running uh, and our electricity will come back on. No, this TV becomes crap. You throw it away. The computer becomes crap. Everything digital with a chip is fried and you have to start over. They, so the first process in that is getting back into probably production from a foreign source of computer chips and rebuilding factories to rebuild everything else. You're talking about possibly years to get back to what you you know our society is, and people start not literally eating each other, but it's possible, right? And they predict that in an EMP attack, ninety percent of the population dies off within the first year. Because of uh, in a, inability to access food and other resources, and frankly, people looting and rioting and going after people, and that that basically you know comes out from the cities and keeps on making its way outward. I mean, if in that case, in that situation, you wouldn't want to be anywhere near a city because that's where people are going to be killing each other for the resources fast. Whereas out in the country, we're probably more prepared because we can farm our own crap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Our own resources. Um, but in this case here with North Korea, the reason why President Trump was meeting with China's president was over this North Korea situation and what is going on. And the fact that he took time out of his dinner and meeting with the Chinese president to address the American people, that they launched missiles at the Syrian airbase and then came back to them is kind of like China doesn't want to get involved in North Korea, but they know that it's a problem, mm-hmm. right? So Trump, in a good way, the positive end of this missile attack is that he's flexing his muscle, unlike our previous president who went on, who launched more apologies to other countries than he did missiles. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's a completely different opposite approach in that regards and he came back to the Chinese president and he's you know possibly a sign of hey listen you need to get on board with what we're proposing if we have to do something in North Korea because this is on your essentially borders here and you need to get involved with it too if yeah. that's the case because it is going to affect you you know sure other than that there's not too much positive stuff to go along with this which is why I'm kind of against it I've been babbling again so go ahead and say your thoughts I think you know I heard an interesting thought um, and I I can't credit who it was I don't remember some news outlet or something it said you know Trump may be one of the first presidents to ever be criticized for actually upholding his campaign promises (laughs) and you know his 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 ego won't let him do a lot of things. Okay? Absolutely. Yep. So that is very bad in some cases. I think I think the biggest hole or the biggest worry I had with Trump becoming president, and I voted for Trump, yes, okay, so I, yeah. was his foreign policy. You know, 
where where's that experience coming from we want someone from outside you know that's the dream the utopia is we're going to have this white knight come in and from the outside and shake things up and you know tr not drain the swamp or whatever uh, rhetoric they put on it but that was a fear that i had okay what what's he going to do when he's across the table from a lifelong politician yeah. okay because yeah. like them or not this is what they do Okay, not saying they're good for the people they govern, but this is what they're trained in in putting spin. And yep. um, patting your back with he, one hand while taking he, your knife to it with the other. <clears throat> he's very clear, okay? You do this, we got a problem. Yeah. They did it, now they have a problem. Yeah. So, although I'm not thrilled with that it happened, I and I don't know what's going to happen next. If you do, I'd love to know. Okay, but in the dark. But I do feel I am encouraged by the fact that he's at least going to hold his promises. You you've got to get you've got to get good advisors and have a diverse group advising him. In my mind, to make sure he draws the right red lines, but at least he'll stand behind them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. To me, that's that's all you have in this world. Whether you're a politician or an average citizen, is you're standing by your word. So let's get the people to help him make a good word, but he's got to stand behind it or he, he loses. <clears throat> I'm going to try to fit some quick points into our time frame here, nearing up on the two-hour mark here. Oh, sure. um, but in regards to what you're saying about him being across the table from a professional politician, that is one problem that Trump is having right now, and it's not a Trump problem. It's a, it's a politician problem, which is... I personally believe that there is evidence that both the Republicans and Democrats in Congress are actively working against Trump because he's not a politician, strictly sure. because of that, and that they want to make a point that uh, you have to be a politician to run for political office, you know, that they are going to end this here and now and make an example of Trump, even if they agree with him on some topics. Sure. Uh, and I think that's pretty scary because I think it's going to limit um, other good people from running for these types of positions. Uh, I said I find it interesting that anyone on the left would be up in arms over this decision that Trump took with the launching of the missiles when they said nothing when Obama wanted to do the same thing back in 2013. This was right the year after ben Benghazi. Now, I had a theory back then, and I can't confirm that theory because it would, I would have to be privy to the information, but I still hold it, and that is that he wanted to bomb specific spots in Syria that held weapons that were part of U.S. deals in Benghazi when things went south and four Americans were killed. The CIA, and they alluded to this in the movie uh, 13 Hours, right, was involved in gun running, and not just gun running, weapon running. Right? Sure. And one of the theories was that the people saw an opportunity that the weapons were there, that they had a disgust for America as it was, and that they could just take them instead of actually negotiating with us, right? And it seemed like the summer of 2013 when Obama proposed this, it was out of nowhere, right? Obama... There was nothing going on in the news in regards to Syria being a problem. And one day during the summer, and Ben's commenting on here, it was I remember specifically, I was working with Ben. We were sitting in our in the, in the office and watching CNBC. 
and he came on and he was it was almost like he was sweating like this was urgent that he had we had to bomb specific uh weapons depots in syria and congress went nuts they're like you need a, our approval to do that and what are your reasons and he wouldn't give reasons and i i truly believe that it's because in those depots were united states munitions that could be easily traced back to us that people would say how the hell did they get these weapons mm -hmm. you know obama was involved in fast and furious and gun running down in new mexico which had no tracking system i mean that was literally the only way you could war game that out is that he wanted those weapons to come back with in regards to situations of violence from across the border with weapons here in the united states for them to push more gun control that's all that i could figure out in war gaming right but they were also doing things with the cia in benghazi and eventually that died down after a couple days because our congress wasn't having it sure they're like you're not giving us good reasons and i really think that that was the reason I said another interesting point is that pro-Trump conservatives, sorry Ben, you're going to be pulled into this one, pro-Trump conservatives that believe Trump would lead us away from wars are among some of the most upset right now. So I, I take a little bit of a disagreement with what you said earlier about his campaign promises because those campaign promises included going to Congress for approval of such actions and to let Russia deal with the situation in Syria. These, these are specific things that he criticized Obama on. He said when Obama wanted to go into Syria, that he should seek congressional approval to do so. He did not do that in this case. He said that Russia should be handling what's going on in Syria. He didn't let that happen. I mean, we're uh, three days out? or right. when that No, he did it the next day. Like, for crying out loud, let it simmer and let's get the facts. I mean, like, mm -hmm. I, like we were talking about, there is no facts to this thing that are clear-cut. You know? Right. And of course, he's privy to intelligence information that we don't have. So there might be something there, but that's a fast reaction. That is a really fast reaction. Sure. Um, I said this failed. Uh, this coupled with a failed Republican health care bill to replace Obamacare are not wearing well for this presidency among his staunchest supporters so far. Not to mention Steve Bannon, who I hate, is no longer involved in a lot of things, but Ivanka and her husband are given more responsibilities and they are outspokenly liberal. They are. So, my biggest criticism during the, the primary seasons was that he was going to get in the office and turn out to be more of a leftist than people sure. were expecting, based on flags that were raised throughout his lifetime. You mm -hmm. know, um, I'm not saying that that is purely the direction that he's heading right now because the Neil Gorsuch pick was phenomenal. Sure, um, the. He has done some amazing things. I mean, most of the things I, that he's been doing, I say it almost every podcast, I agree with. I just don't like executive orders. Right. You know what I mean? Um, but I think he is running into a real problem right now with his staunchest supporters who happen to be the most outspoken against what's going on in Syria right now. Right. Any, any last thoughts on that at all? No, I, I think um, you're absolutely right about the, the campaign promises. Um I think what I actually meant was uh, in he's not one to back off something no, he t said he would do <laughs> yeah. because his ego won't let him. Right. So he clearly had a history of saying we shouldn't do this. And you're right. So so absolutely. And I appreciate you clarifying. That no, that's because, OK. I wasn't trying to call you out. No, no, no. Because I, I was thinking about that. I was like, now I see what you're saying. Um, but I, 
it's a positive and a negative. I think that that ego, as long as the law, the lines he's drawn are reasonable, he's got to stand behind them, and mm-hmm. and we as a nation have to stand behind them. Um, and Obama drew that line, so just yeah, the absolutely. fact that he held up Obama, held up the Obama's statement is interesting that it's the the fire is drawn. Yeah. Um... Ben wanted me to talk about Tommy. I do have something quick to say about Tommy, and that is uh, he said that there's a lawsuit against Beck, and that might be the case. The only thing that I saw that was going on recently in regards to a legal battle between the two of them is that Tommy was upset that her Facebook page wasn't allowed to migrate with her as a personality Hmm. because the Blaze assumed ownership of that it was their page that they started and she wants those followers to come along with her because starting a new page you're going to lose followers sure you know you're going to have to migrate that audience somehow i understand her plight but that's the company's page if they started it it's theirs yeah like she has to get over it sure there's no other there's no other thing to say about it really sure um uh, what, what do you think about Tommy? Uh, before we even get into the, the Blaze situation, what do you think about her as a, a conservative voice? Um, I like, I like the message. Mm-hmm. I, I'll be honest. I'm from a purely entertainment side. Um, I, I'm not a fan. Okay. 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 I'm not a fan of the delivery. Either am I. Uh, I think it's pretty terrible. Yes. Um, I I can't say I've ever watched a whole segment she's done. Not because I wasn't interested in the topic. You know, she's very attractive. I mean, any red-blooded American male that's straight would want to watch it. Well, don't assume genders either, though. I'm assuming. It's tough. So, all right. Any any American who happens to like the way she looks... Yeah, there you go. You know, is fine. But as far as the delivery... I can't take it. She's always angry. It's just, why? Yeah. And I think Trevor Noah hit that on the head when he was like, why are you always angry? You know? And it's like, I, the old adage, which is, you know, you attract more bees, flies with honey than with a... Right, right, right. <laughs> vinegar, <laughs> vinegar or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, I I said this, I think, in, in that podcast that uh, last time I mentioned um, Tommy, which is her best moments are when she's smiling and having fun, you know? And it's because it's a more relatable thing, you Mm -hmm. know? Again, the way our society is going with tapping into the negative emotions of people is is rotting us from within. Sure. And she's part of that problem. Sure. Um, She has an opportunity to unite more people behind a message with a positive approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and instead she's uniting people with a negative approach and it's 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 not going to end well I don't think you know it's it's um, it's kind of the same if if you if you want to put the worst two people in a room for me to want to turn something off put her and Trevor Noah in a room. <laughs> I couldn't click off of that fast enough. I mean, yeah. if I even hear either of their voices, I'm done. I don't want. I don't want to deal with it. Mm-hmm. I don't like the delivery of either. Uh, but I think there's ch- just too much of a cry wolf in her delivery that she's not going to change minds. And I think her delivery is good, 
if she's you know on a ham radio in a war zone somewhere yelling it not not yeah. on the national stage <laughs> yeah so so i again i wish her the best of luck and i wish her any harm and you know any conservative voice is good that's a younger voice but true true yeah we need a new generation because frankly listen the, the tried and true representatives of conservative media you have rush limbaugh uh, always at number one you have sean hannity you have mark levin glenn beck you have um oh who's the guy that got banned over in europe he had a show here uh on our local station but it was canceled um forget his name i can't think of it but you know these people while great at what they do and i'm not denying them that uh they they are gonna have especially with the way our culture is is heading a hard time connecting with younger people Mm -hmm. and that's purely because we've become a add society of just you know, you better. You have a couple minutes, a couple moments of my time, and if you're not saying something interesting, I'm tuning out. Right. Which is sometimes my problem with viewers. Sure. <laughs> Going to two hours, but you know, you you need people within a generation that at least lead them to the message. And Tommy is that younger generation. Unfortunately, there's no substance behind it because she doesn't do her own research. You know, mm. when she was cornered by Trevor Noah in the Colin Kaepernick situation, when he said how should he have responded she didn't have an answer after weeks of lambasting him on how he protested mm-hmm. she didn't have an answer on why what he should have done which i think is one of the most important things for political conversations it's one of the things that i've pulled out is that if you're going to talk about politics and identify problems you need to have some solutions sure right which may have been which I often fall into. I'm so focused on going through these and, and talking about the problems. Sometimes I don't offer the solutions, and, and I should be doing that. And I fall into that trap, too, because you get into a mindset. You got into a role on what you want to complain about, and then it's the next topic because you're trying to make time. Sure. Know? But that is something that I think any conservative voice out there in media needs to grasp is, in my mind, from a marketing perspective, which is my background, you in marketing have to appeal to what people are looking for and i think in this day and age they're looking for solutions Mm -hmm. she did not offer solutions it's you know marketing business sales whatever whatever you you want to call it a big part of it's putting yourself in the other person's shoes Yeah, yeah and going through the motions and role playing a bit and it was yeah, I agree. Just too one-sided. Okay. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen for the yeah. next hour. I'm going to scream it at you, and then you're going to turn this off. Yeah. And didn't appeal to me, so I can't imagine she was converting many people. True. All right. Any other things you want to talk about at all? No. No. All right. Well, I want to thank Gabe for being here. It was fun. Uh, he definitely is someone that's knowledgeable on politics, so I enjoy having conversations with those types of people. Uh, I want to thank everyone for tuning in tonight. If you are watching this or listening to this you can always find me on facebook by searching for the generation y conservative you can find me also on youtube with multiple other videos besides a podcast by searching for the generation y conservative i'm up with a lot of videos on that site right now especially if you're tuning in on klrn radio uh all my previous podcasts can be found on there because we came in a little bit late with klrn i think there's only about three episodes up on there right now 
since I've been with them, but I've been doing, I'm on podcast 19 now. So, um, like I said, on KLRN radio, you can find me on Sundays at 3 p.m. Uh, you can also find me on Google Play. You can get this audio podcast as well as Stitcher. And KLRN has actually put me on iTunes as well, so you can find me there. So lots of ways that you can interact. On Twitter, it's at Gen Y Conservative without the E on the end. Here's what I ask of you. The conservative message is not a popular one. So anytime you get the opportunity, if you can, like the page, follow me on Twitter, uh, you know, subscribe to my channel on YouTube. That helps out. And, and share those things, certainly, because we need to spread the conservative message and uh, you know what? And along those lines, too, the reason why there's always a fluctuation of waves of back and forth between conservative movements and liberal movements is because younger generations are always rebelling against their parents. And the Reagan revolution happened after the hippie generation. They went to Clinton. It went back to Bush. Then it went extremely liberal with Obama. And I think now is our time. I think that the social justice warriors and the using of pronouns and people being offended by everything is turning a lot of people off especially our young generations and you're seeing that statistically with younger generations becoming more pro-life than ever before more, more pro-traditional marriage uh the fact that there is this tolerance that's seen um that you can be tolerant and not accepting of certain things which is a difference so the way that we can do this is by sharing and growing this audience and connecting together. I have a great audience that always tunes in and great people like Gabe who is always participating in comments and, and getting involved with things. And uh, let's grow that. So that's all I ask of you. I'm not asking for any money or anything else. You lead them to my pages. We start a conversation. And hopefully we get big enough that this takes off even more. So thank you for tuning in and have a great night and God bless America.